welcome to Tuning Japanese, a podcast where two spirits, ghostly apparitions, scary spoopy men, talk about something that's not anime. Yay. He's been kept up by the noises under his floorboards. It's Bill. I mean, I attended Juilliard, graduated from Harvard, lived through the Black Plague, had a pretty good time then. Seen the Exorcist 167 times, and it gets funnier every time I see it. Oh, there's a clue of what we're doing this week. <laughs> and apparently, I've contracted the Red Death or something. My name is Andy. <clears throat> Don't mind me. I might be coughing because I've been dying before we started to hit record. Welcome to our haunted mansion. Yeah, you know, they did a lot of Vincent Price sound alike stuff on that show too. Oh, totally, a hundred percent. It's one of those things where. It pulls from so much of, like, horror pop culture, horror movies. I was just up there, and your daughter was watching another episode, and there was a reference to, uh, oh, shoot, uh, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard, like, I-, I love the smell of napalm in the morning, and I'm like, <laughs> wait, there's no way the kids are going to get that reference. Right? <clears throat> it would almost be worth going back to watch the whole thing. It really honestly would. Hey, if you haven't noticed, we're not here to talk about anime this week. We're here to talk about, for our... Holiday Halloween Spooktacular episode. <coughs> Don't bite me, I'm dying. It is a review of an episode from the 1989 to 1991 run of the Beetlejuice animated cartoon. Yes, yes it is. So before we get into some background on Beetlejuice, I just have to throw it to you, Bill. This was kind of your idea. It was. And just give the fans a little bit of context as to why we're watching this, of all things. Over the summer, my wife had been and I had been discussing, you know, all the movies that we had as kids that we shouldn't have been watching. That some genius decided, hey, let's make that a Saturday morning cartoon, a toy line, or both. Yeah. So we, it led us to things like RoboCop, the animated series. The Toxic Crusaders. Okay. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. Swamp Thing, even. Yeah, Swamp Thing was a cartoon, wasn't it? Um, what about... Uh... Alien and Predator toys. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, what about Ghostbusters, even? Something that was a, a little, little, a little a more little mature. T- a little tamer than some of our previous... Examples. Examples. But, but still... Ha- uh, uh... Still, there was a ghost blowjob there scene. There was a ghost blowjob scene. You're um, right. Even our favorite Christmas movie around here, Gremlins. Oh, I love Gremlins. And I know... Like, I'm not trying to be edgy, like, that's a Christmas movie. Like, people say, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never even seen Die Hard. I don't know. I know it takes place at Christmas. It does. That doesn't necessarily make it a Christmas movie. No. I would argue Gremlins is a Christmas oh, movie. Oh, it's totally a Christmas Gizmo movie. Gizmo was a Christmas present. Yeah. Like, it doesn't just take place at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Christmas is a whole part of the movie. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Um, But still, like, we bought it. We watched it with our daughter. And then I was like, should I be watching this with my daughter? <laughs> Fair. Um, like, I watch this all the time as a kid, but they blatantly talk about Santa not being real. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> like, Straight like, up. Oh. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. Yeah. They do that in there. That's true. You want to be, you want to be careful before you just jump into the nostalgia of your childhood before you, you know, present it to your children. <laughs> I have not shown her my favorite child, children's movie growing up. Oh, Lord. The one I watched over and over again. Uh-huh. Almost weekly. Yes. Tremors. Yes. I think, <laughs> I think that's probably for the best. <laughs> it probably is. <clears throat> I don't know why I watched that thing so much. It wasn't a great movie. It was on USA all the time. That's probably why. It was syndicated. <laughs> so, back to topic at hand. Yes, topic at hand. Just shortly after discussing this, we are walking through Walmart. We're going through the DVDs and mm-hmm. um, aisle. And we happen to walk past Beetlejuice, the complete series. Yes. For like 20 bucks. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, it's 20 bucks. And it's 100 episodes. Yeah, you're going to get your money's worth yeah. for sure in that, just by sheer number of hours alone. Boy, do we get our money's worth. Oh, with your daughter right now? Absolutely. Uh, she's on her fifth or sixth watch through, probably. Mm-hmm. She's a little obsessed with it. Um, That is going to be her... Halloween costume? Yes. The original plan was for her to be Lydia and me to be Beetlejuice. 
But I told my wife, you do not want to dress me up like Beetlejuice and set me loose in the neighborhood. No, no. Uh, we would be calling... someone. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be, but someone would be calling the cops. Yeah, that would not... Would not end well. Go over well. So we got you a lovely red shawl kind of thing with spiderweb patterns on it, and you're just going to play Lydia. It's going to be great. Hot Topic sells those. Do they really? Ashley found one and a uh, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, she found one and linked us to it. That's great. And she's like, hey, your daughter might be interested in this. We were going to buy it for her, and we just never got around to it. And then yeah. we bought her the, the actual Beetlejuice yeah, costume. Yeah, and, absolutely. So she'll probably have it at some point. I'm sure she will. She's uh, She's got it in her head she wants to look goth now. Mm, I see. Um, I see. She doesn't have the personality for it. but She, she doesn't. doesn't. She doesn't understand. But neither did Josh, so it works out. Well, that's true. <laughs> she did end up going to school with uh, dark eyeshadow, though, because we couldn't get the black makeup from the Beetlejuice <laughs> costume off of her face when we tried it out. So she was testing the waters a little bit as, <laughs> yeah. as, as what it's like to be goth. Yeah. But she is going to be Beetlejuice. Yes. And it is a very well-put-together costume. It is, although we're probably going to have to get her... Uh, some white undershirt and leggings to go under the suit because it's going to be cold as shit. <sighs> Welcome to the Midwest, <clears throat> where during I... our childhood, it was, you couldn't just be Spider-Man, you were Spider-Man wearing a jacket. <sighs> yeah. Until you did the costume, like you planned for it, and you made a costume be super warm. Mm-hmm. And then October was 60 degrees. Yeah, so, yeah it's, like, it's like, I'm Marty off. McFly. Oh, shit. Yeah, I've got four jackets on. I'm Marty McFly. Yep. <laughs> you sweat your balls off the yep. whole time. Pretty much the case. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty freaking awesome. And that had led us then. We were debating what we were going to do for a Halloween episode. Yeah, we were throwing some ideas around. Um, and leaving a recording. We walked upstairs to not just my daughter watching Beetlejuice, which is common enough. Yeah, normal enough around here. And thought maybe we'll do the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. But she happened to be watching an episode entitled... Potpourri. And that gave you an English chubby. I was semi-erect. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Uh, the the It woke the dead, perhaps, you might say. And we're like, well, we have to do this one now, clearly. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And we are. We are going to talk about the episode of Beetlejuice from the fourth season, titled Potpourri. And God, I had not watched this show since I was a kid. Yep. Have not. Not once since I was a kid. And and that would have been, what, back in 91? We would have been around eight years old? Yep. I haven't watched it more than it just being a constant drone in the background of the home. Yes. So, this is a long time ago, that uh, almost 30 years since you and I have watched this program. And here we are. We're going to talk about this for our fans. But, before we get into talking about the episode itself, let's do some background on Beetlejuice in general. All right. Sh- shall we? We shall. Uh, so Are you going to front load some facts? I'm going to front load some facts, one might say. All right. Well, uh, Beetlejuice is the brightest star in Orion. Uh, marks the western shoulder of the constellation. Um, Bill? One of the largest known stars and probably at least the size of the orbit of Mars or possibly even Jupiter. Uh, Bill. Yes. Um, wrong Beetlejuice. No, Bill, not that Beetlejuice. We're not talking about the star. We're talking about the 1988 movie directed by Tim Burton. Not talking about Orion's armpit. We're not talking about Orion's armpit. Google okay. that. You could find an interesting bit of extra knowledge about Beetlejuice the star. Spelled differently, by the way, than Beetlejuice. Uh, the movie uh, that starred such people as... Actually, that's not entirely true either. The movie is Beetlejuice. Like, uh-huh. the word beetle and the word juice. Yeah. The character's name is actually... Spell- oh, it is because I believe there's even a scene mm-hmm. with like the flashing lights. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're you're 100 right. Yep, which is all the more interesting because in the cartoon they nickname him BJ. It's true, but that it would not be correct because the character's name is BG. Well, it's not even BG; it's one word. Yeah, it's not two words. Oh, uh, it's up. true. Yeah, <clears throat> but if you want to break it up that way, it would be a G, not a J. You're right. You're absolutely right. Beetlejif. Beetlejif, Beetlejif, Beetlejif. Beetlegif. Beetlegif. Oh, don't get me started on that. I will go crazy on that conversation. Uh, so this movie starred, it was a, had a crazy cast. It did, too. A really amazing cast. Uh, you had the likes of Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. Yep. Uh, as the deceased couple. Our protagonist, Our really. protagonist, essentially, for the whole movie. Yep. You have our antagonist, Michael Keaton, playing the titular role of Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Winona Ryder 
playing the role of the gothic and tormented daughter uh, of the family moving in, Lydia. Yep, yep. And her parents were even played by Catherine O'Hara, who played Delia, uh, as well as Jeffrey Jones, who played Charles Dietz. So that's just a crazy cast. Well, Robert Goulet is in it. Oh, no, you're right. Absolutely. Like, this movie is insane with the with its cast. Uh, and it is such a good film. Love it. Uh, it tells a story of, like I mentioned, a uh, family who are living in this house. They died. Uh, they go to the afterlife and realize that they are essentially being tasked with uh, haunting the house. Yep. Which is being moved in by the new family, the Dietz. A pretentious East Coast. Oh, totally. Artsy, fartsy couple. Oh, completely. And their gothy daughter. Yeah. So they try to essentially uh, scare the hell out of them, do a piss poor job at it. And, and that's hire a professional. When they hire a professional uh, by the name of Beetlejuice. Who they shouldn't. Who are told not to. Right. And the mo- and the movie kind of bio exorcist. That is. Is that what they say in the film? Yep. Okay. It's been a little while since I've seen the film Beetlejuice. Yep. Uh, careful not to say it two more times. Uh, yeah. So we have definitely said it. <laughs> I think plenty of times. I love that movie so much. Me too. It was one of those ones that growing up I really enjoyed. Maybe something that we shouldn't have watched oh, over and over again as a kid. But one that I think going back especially Mike, Michael Keaton's like portrayal of that character was just unbelievably masterful. My first recollect- recollection of Michael Keaton existing as an actor was Batman. Mm-hmm. Of course. I think that's most people's. Yes. And that's really probably not fair. Because everything I've seen him in since, he's so much better. Oh, so Not that he was much, bad as Batman. No, no, but, but so much better. Yeah, like, Beetlejuice is, I, I guess just because he's hamming it up. He's just full Muppet. Yeah. And you saw Birdman, right? I have Birdman. Oh, you need to see Birdman. It is so... That is probably my favorite thing he's ever been in. Really? That movie was phenomenal. That was spectacular. I loved the shit out of that movie. So, so good. Well, The Vulture... Yes. Oh, that's right. He was in Marvel. Yeah, he uh, played in the first, uh, the the reboot of the newer Spider-Man movies. Yep. Uh, Played as the the main villain. Uh, So that was Beetlejuice, the the movie from 1988. And next year, one year following, the powers that be and Tim Burton decided, why not turn it into a children's show? Sure, why not? (laughs) And completely change the plot. Uh, so right. this old ghost that tries to marry a 16 year old. Let's make a TV show about that. Yeah, a kid show about that. Yeah, yeah, and. In the show, she's only 12. Right. And he is kind of in love with her. I, ish. I think they, they really tamed that back. They I definitely tamed it back. I don't think he's in love with her so much as he's childishly best friends with her. Yeah. And maybe a little, a little obsessed, but not in like a weird way, just like in a, we are friends. Yeah. It's really weird. Uh, this show, by the way, uh, which attained a 7.3 rating on IMDb, actually stars Allison Court as Lydia. Uh, you might recognize Allison Court from a lot of, uh, different things. I think her two biggest roles were she was Jubilee on the animated 90s X-Men series. Oh, okay. Which you can, if you listen, you can hear that voice totally. Now that you say that, yes. They sound like it's her voice. Yep. Uh, and then she did a lot of work with the Resident Evil games and movies, uh, as Claire Redfield. Uh, and then I'm going to say the name completely wrong. Uh, Stephen Uemet, uh, who is the voice of uh, Beetlejuice. And he is probably, again, best known for his role, not only as this, but as Angel, Warring Worthington, uh, from oh, okay. the X-Men animated 90s cartoon. Right. Uh, as well as a number of other animated shows, as well as Shakespeare productions uh, he's done as well. So uh, interesting bit here that he took on this role uh, of Beetlejuice. The show debuted on ABC uh, on Saturday mornings. Uh, eventually was part of Fox Kids' very first lineup. Eventually moved over to there. I think that's, if you look at the way the structure of the show is, Season one, season two, season three, and each one is like 13 episodes. Mm -hmm. And then season four is like 50 episodes. Yeah. And so I'm guessing that's probably the... Probably the Fox Kids. The Fox Kids. Yeah, more than likely. Uh, It did actually, in 1990, win a Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Animated Program. Wow. Yeah. So it must have caught on. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it is something that I remember fondly. Myself included, yeah. It's a weird show. As we're going to talk about. Yep. Speaking of, let's get right into our review. Of we probably episode, should. Yes, our episode from season four, Poe Puri. 
So, once upon a midnight dreary, while he ponders weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, Beetlejuice is sitting in his BJ's Roadhouse? Uh, what is this, exactly? That's where he lives, apparently. It's like a, it's like a, like a motel? No, no, it's just his house. Okay. I don't know why they call it a roadhouse. I, th- I assumed it was like some sort of weird roadside motel. Uh, okay. nope. Okay. Nope. Fair he- enough. He just has a flashing sign. I guess his name on it, yeah. Paying homage to the movie, like he was big and flashy and yeah. stuff in there too, but. Yeah, no, it, he actually says that, like, you're the only guest, like, it's not a hotel, but you can stay here or something. Right. He F- says that. Yeah, to, to Poe, and he yeah. shows up in this episode. Uh, so he is actually reading a collection of Edgar Allan Poe stories, uh, which is titled. No, Lydia left there. Yes, it's Lydia's. It belongs to her, and it's titled Poe, titled Poe's Poems to Curl Your Hair. And I hate, Hate, hate the grammatical error. Poe's poems, P-O-E-M apostrophe S. Oh. They use a possessive form (laughs) and not a just plural form. That bothered the shit out of me. Um, And he's reading this and getting freaked out because as he's reading, there's knocking and thunder and craziness going on around his, his home. This constant knocking actually at first is, of all people, Lydia. Yes. She comes just kind of wandering in. She's wearing like a weird hood and a shroud. Uh, yeah, and... I mean, it looks like her spider print poncho thing. Yeah. But it's gray and then yeah. it has a hood and a, a fur collar. I guess it's because it's raining outside. Right. And it's cold and rainy. And... Yeah. And so she pulls that back. Uh, and I think she takes her book of forgotten lore. Yeah. Which, well, he actually says that. He's like, he's like, here's your forgotten lore, <laughs> <laughs> which is such a good line. Yep. Uh, and she leaves, leaving him alone. And yep. like the narrator in Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, uh, he is left alone and starts freaking out at the sound of constant noises. Knocking. Knocking. Knocking at his roadhouse door. Yes. <laughs> Disclaimer, by the way, for those that have not been paying attention, I am an English teacher, and my specialty is American literature, and I know quite a bit about the life and the works of Edgar Allan Poe, which is what drew me to this episode immediately when we saw your daughter watching yes. it. That I had to analyze the shit out of this and put on my English teacher hat for this particular episode. Yep. There's knocking, knocking. He keeps checking the door. Yep. Ding, dong, ditching him over and over again. Never, nothing there. Completely yep. nothing. Until there's a flash of lightning. Yep. And at the window is what I'm guessing is supposed to be a raven. Yeah. Well, Doesn't he, really look much like it, a raven. It says that later, that it's the rapping raven. Yeah. It's like a weird beatnik rapping poet raven. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be a rapper, but really it's more like a slam poet. Yeah, he's totally slam poet. Uh, he's got, he does have a pretty deep voice though, like a, like yeah. a like pretty heavy baritone, yep. uh, to him. And yeah, he's, uh, uh, some sort of beat poet. At this point, there's another knock and he's just like, what the hell? Well, he knocks the bird off the planter. Oh yeah. It's standing on a planter box, and so he grabs a, a shingle on his mantle and... And just pulls it, and he goes, yeah, falling off. The planter falls off. Yeah, it's pretty good. There's Okay, so Beetlejuice has a lot more physical and visual gags than I remember. Oh, having. it's visual puns, even, just straight up. Tons. Yeah. Throughout the whole thing. So there's another knock at the door, and this time it's not the raven, but... Well, there's another knock, and the raven's in the house on the mantle. Oh, I forgot about that. He comes in, yes. and he does the thing, like, in the raven, where he perches above... You know, and says like, "Hey, yo!" First of all, he like talks instead of just saying "nevermore." He's like, "I'm the rapping raven." Yeah, and he eventually gets around to the nevermore. Yeah, he's like, "I'm just gonna hang out here for a while and haunt you and taunt you." Wiki 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 wiki, and (laughs) people just like get out, and he's like, "Nevermore," and I'm like, "Yeah." (laughs) But then we get another knock at the door. Yep, and it is a large-headed man. In a uh, very severe black coat, he is carrying a giant suitcase. It is a boardwalk caricature of Edward Allan Poe. <laughs> oh, totally, totally a caricature. Um, but what I will give them credit for is they did go for the uh, sort of like southern-ish accent that uh-huh. he would have had growing up in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Uh, so, so they did at least attempt to give him a voice similar to what how he probably actually sounded. So you're saying the. Uh... The details, the attention to quality is there. The attention to quality in this episode is here in many ways. Now, they're going to take some liberties with it, as we'll see in some of the references. But absolutely, you can tell that the people creating this episode, the writer of this episode, 
did have a lot of love for Poe, obviously. Right. Had that sort of reverence and that understanding of his works. So he shows up and he just starts taking money out of his coat and blowing his nose with it. Yep, he's got so much money he can just use it as snot rags. So I want to talk about the absurdity of this. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, okay, Edgar Allan Poe was born. His mother was a uh, a famous actress. She dies really early from tuberculosis. Okay. Uh, and he is sent to live with the Allen family, uh, people that his mother knew. Um, hence the middle name. Yes, hence the middle name Allen. The mother, his his surrogate mother here in the Allen family loved him very much. The His stepfather, whatever you want to call him, right, um, does not care for him. John Allen hates Poe. Okay. Doesn't want Poe there. It's like, why did we take this goddamn kid in? This is terrible. He, uh, his wife does die, succumbs, I believe, to tuberculosis as well. And while she's dying, he's like... that going around. Yeah, no, there's a lot of that going around. Uh, while she's dying, he's sleeping with other women in the house. Poe is, like, furious. You know, how could he do this? He's being a terrible, like, father, et cetera, et cetera. When she passes away, he essentially is like, yeah, we're getting you the hell out of here. We're sending you to military school, uh, which he was fine with. Um, but then he racked up a lot of debts in military school, which he refused to pay. When John Allen dies, uh, he, on his, in, in, on his deathbed, you know, going over his will, told, told Edgar Allan Poe, you get nothing. You get nothing of my fortune, of my money, and gives and leaves most of his money to illegitimate children. Obviously, not a good start for Poe. Right. Uh, Poe would go most of his life racking up a lot of fame with his stories, but not making much money. Uh, he famously made, I believe, and I'm just I'm just ballparking because I can't remember the exact amount. I think he made like something along the lines of fifteen dollars for his publishing of the Raven, which went on to be probably right. the most famous poem in American history. Right. Now, do you think this is a joke about him being famously poor? Or do you think this is simply a, oh, he's very famous and he's in the afterlife, so obviously he's rich? I'm thinking it's that. I think it's maybe, but maybe if, he's getting some royalties, but now that he's dead and he's living in the afterlife or something, I don't know. But if they paid attention enough that he has the accent, maybe they just made the joke. Or maybe if they make the joke, maybe it was them feeling bad for him. Yeah. Like, Here. Have some money. Have some money in the yeah. actual. In this incarnation of you, we're going to make you rich. Just it's very. It's the least we can do. It's the very, very well possible. That's. I don't know for sure exactly what the intention is, but I really like that reading of it. And mind you, you said suitcase. I did say suitcase. It's actually a steamer trunk. Now, can you help me out with this one? Because this is one of the only references I didn't get. I don't know what a steamer trunk is. Oh, you don't. I don't. I didn't actually get this reference. It's literally a large banded trunk. Mm-hmm. That was used to transport stuff on a steamship. Oh, okay. Got I mean, you. You've seen them for sure. I'm sure I've seen them. I just had never heard that term before. I don't think that is a crazy to me. Yeah, no, I don't think I've ever heard you, that before. Yeah. You, a literal master of the English language. Yeah, I just had never really, I'd never heard that that uh, that particular phrase or what that was before specifically. I mean, it makes sense now. Maybe I it's guess. a southern thing. It's well, it sounds like a very southern thing, honestly. Like that's a steamer trunk. Okay, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah I mean, you've yeah. definitely seen it. Oh, totally. It, it, but yeah, that's... Usually it was because it could be taken... Oh, okay. Like, yeah. it's literally a traveling dresser that's heavily banded that you can, like, take with you on a steamer ship. Got it. That makes sense. Yep. Okay. Well, I've learned something today. He is missing Lenore. Um, Lenore, obviously the woman in the Edgar Allan Poe uh, poem, The Raven. To the point that it's even got a steam whistle on it and is trailing steam behind it. Yes, you are right. It is. That's clever. It's one of our our visual puns. It is. It's extremely clever. So Poe is here because he's looking for Lenore. Okay. And Lenore is the woman that the narrator in his work, The Raven, is is longing after because she has passed away. Right. And Lenore was not his real life wife, right? No, Lenore never. Lenore as a name never existed. Uh, Lenore was a surrogate that is. It was common for him, uh, for his wife, Virginia. Now, that is a whole other story if you don't know much about Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, he married Virginia Clem. Uh, Virginia Clem was actually his cousin. Um, first cousin? I can't remember if it's first or second cousin, um, off the top of my head, but he, uh, met her, uh, Second during... cousin's still awkward, but I think technically legal. I think you're right. Uh, I'll have to look that part up. But anyway, he falls in love with her. Uh, he finds some level of happiness finally after everything that happened with losing Wasn't his she mother. Really young too? 
Yep, about to get there. Okay. Uh, she was, I think, 12 or 13. Hachi, uh, when he met her, uh, they I got... was hoping you were going to finish that sentence with years younger than him. Nope. Uh, they got <laughs> when they got married, they had to falsify the wedding, the, the marriage documents. Uh, I think they said that in the marriage documents that she was eighteen, but I think she was like fourteen or fifteen when they got married. Wow, when you had to lie about how old your bride is that long ago, yes, that's that's a bi- that's a big deal. But that said, as creepy and gross as that is, and it is creepy and gross. Yeah, yeah, not. To be fair to him, the one positive thing I could say out of it was like it was the only happiness he really ever found in like true happiness he ever found in his life. I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. You know what? Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, but to, to to kind of close up here, Lenore. Just like Annabelle Lee in his poem Annabelle Lee and in other works, uh, was this sort of surrogate for her, whom he lost once again to tuberculosis. She contracted the disease, um, and died a terrible, long, drawn out death to the disease. It'd be a lot different episode if she was his twelve uh, year old cousin. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. <laughs> Lydia's like, oh, this is my classmate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Beetlejuice at this point realizes if he keeps Edgar Allan Poe sad, he's right. just going to keep throwing snot money at him. He's, he's going to keep blowing his nose in money and leave it laying around the house. <laughs> that's, so that's what he decides to do. That's he says, entire motivation. He's like, hey, you could stay here, but man, tell me more about Lenore. Yep. You can stay here. I'm going to keep you sad. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> we cut to a scene later where Edgar Allan Poe is awake and he's he's talking Which about... Which is still a messed up thing to do in a children's cartoon. No, you're right. 100% right. It's crazy wrong. So Poe is stalking around, banging on the walls, which I think is a, a minor veiled reference to a cask of, to the cask of Amontillado. Okay. Uh, the story in which uh, Fortunato uh, is taken uh, down into the cellars uh, by a man who is trying to get revenge on him uh, and essentially gets him really drunk at a party, leads him down to the catacombs, uh, and then eventually walls Offer, him up. Offers good wine down there, right? Offers really good wine. The, the ca- a cask of Amontillado, the, the best wine at, that, they, that this place has, uh, and gets him so drunk, gets him down there, and actually walls him up and shackles him, and he leaves him there to die. Uh, so I think there's a minor veiled thing there of like him banging on the walls. I even kind of wonder that myself, because they made sure it was a brick wall he was banging oh, on. Oh, of course. At 100%, absolutely. Um, could be a reference maybe to... Be a really like a, like a little bit of more of a stretch to like the black cat, which uh, at the end of the story he starts rapping on the walls uh, where he keeps the, the dead body of his wife after he accidentally murders her, and then the police find the body behind I the mean, wall. He was wailing about where his Lenore right. was. Oh, so. That's true. So it could be it could be a reference to the black cat as well. Beetlejuice agrees eventually. Like, hey, maybe Lenore will show up. Maybe we can find her. Right. But still, again, just wants the money. Oh yeah, that's all he wants. So Beetlejuice decides at one point, man. All this scamming is making me tired. <laughs> I, I better go get some sleep. Right? So he lays down and there's a ticking, a constant ticking. And my guess is that it's a reference. And I could be wrong again, but I think it might be a reference to Mask of the Red Death, okay. uh, which is a story, as we'll see later on, and we'll talk in more detail. Um, but in that story, there is a clock that yep. every time it chimes the hour, it causes the people at this party who are ignoring a, a really terrible disease to just not think about the terrible fate of what's going on. Right. So maybe it's keeping him awake yeah. at night, this ticking of a clock somewhere yep. in his brain. Well, also Poe crying is keeping him awake. Oh, that is also keeping him awake. Which the next morning he wakes up, gets up, and is like, man, I couldn't sleep. But Lydia is like fangirling out when she shows back up. I know. This was weird, too, because we cut in... In media res, him explaining the problem and why he didn't sleep. Yeah. And then he says something about Poe, and she's like, oh, he's there? I gotta go meet him. It's like, were you not listening, lady? No, of course she wasn't. Like, that was, that's the start of the story. Yeah, of course she isn't paying attention. So, she freaks out. She's a part of Edgar Allan Poe's fan club, she says. Yep. Uh, to which we also find out that Lenore is the president of the well, fan club. Because Beale just thinks she's going to screw it up for him. Yeah. By telling him that. And he gets a little excited. And he was like, but she was the president! And like, it just starts again. <laughs> starts crying, throwing money. So he goes back to sleep, tries to go back to sleep, but he's woken by the beating of a heart. Yep. Uh, obviously. This, this is where the acid trip portion of the oh, episode starts. This is a fucking acid trip and a half. So he hears a beating of a heart yep. from behind his door, uh, which is an obvious reference to the Telltale Heart. Yep. Um, the so story... this thing's like eight foot tall and shaped like a 
Like a Valentine heart. It is. And again, I'm sure most people know Telltale Heart. That's one of the yeah, more common ones. Yeah, that's one of the ones. more common ones. Um, but the uh, guy murders an old man, um, is guilty, decides to bury the body b- b- beneath the floorboards of his house. Uh, when people come around looking for it, he panics because all he can hear is the continuous beating of the heart and it drives him to make a confession that yep, uh, he the body is there. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's haunted by this heartbeat, this giant eight foot tall heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and the raven, uh, pops in and he's yeah. on a TV. Yep. Taunts him a little bit more. Yeah. Taunts him some more, basically saying like, you're gonna, you're gonna suffer with Edgar Allan Poe in your house. Mm-hmm. And then we get a shot of the television, like, like zooming in. We yep. see Edgar Allan Poe with crazy vampire teeth. Yeah. Like leap out of the TV at him. And then we go down his mouth. Yep. Into like what looks like a like the the sandworms or whatever. Or yeah, like, kind of like the sand or just a general vortex. Yeah. Of like cartoon vortex of flying through somewhere. And we get a rapid fire of a couple of really uh really niche uh Poe references, which yep. I thought I thought was really cool. Uh, we get a chest of gold with a golden bug. Uh, the gold bug. Uh, okay. a, a short story by Poe, uh, which I'm not as super familiar with. I don't think I've read that one. He invented um, the upgraded form of bubble bee. Okay. <laughs> Yep, that's true. It's not true. Uh, we get a reference to, we see a house crumbling in a, in a, uh, mailbox that says Usher, which is an obvious reference to, uh, The Thong Song. To Fall of the House of Usher. One of the, the spookier, actually, legit one of the spookier Edgar Allan Poe stories. Uh, and then we see a casket with Lenore's name engraved on it, and she sits up in the cap, in the casket. Alright, which should be shocking because they're ghosts. Yes. Right. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, Lord. <laughs> we shouldn't be, but it is. Uh, hey, we get a little bit of a glimpse of Lenore here. Do you want to describe her? Because you yourself, like, has said that this is kind of what you thought Lenore from the poem actually looked like. Yeah, absolutely. I guess this is where it came from. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember the palette backwards, though. In my head, I always imagined, like, a lime green face and light hair. In actuality, you get green hair, lime green hair, and a white death shroud over it. Like, Bridal veil slash death shroud. Yes. And just the barest outline of a, a female face. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. And of course, a Victorian gown and a, bo- oh, of a bone in the hair. And... Yeah, of course. All all of those trappings yep. that kind of go along with the time period, especially. Yeah, the, the light green and, and white. To this day, I think of Lenore from that poem, I think light green and white. Mm-hmm. And that's weird that that was your image and you didn't even like connect it until no idea you watched it. Came from. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really, really cool. I'm yeah. not sure this show didn't affect my whole thinking as a child where like I would hear some weird phrase that I never heard before and I would break down the parts of the image and I can't think of an example top of my head, but mm-hmm. like later in this episode or earlier in this episode, he says something about being a bellhop. Yes. And he literally turns into a bellhop outfit on a bell. And he starts hopping, hopping around. around. Yeah. Like I'm not sure like that literalist thinking didn't uh-huh. enter my brain from at least partially this show. Yeah. It's one of those ones that uses that form of humor. Constantly. Oh, throughout the whole thing. So the Raven, we cut back to the Raven, and he turns into a black cat that jumps at uh, yep, Beetlejuice, which is, again, obvious reference to the black cat short the, story. That's like the last image of this segment of the acid trip. Yes. Till it starts up again. Right. Yeah, this this is... I mean, Black Cat's a cool story. Have you re- ever read The Black Cat? That one I have not. That one's actually one of my favorites of all time. Uh, the story of a man who it loves animals, like mm-hmm. loves all animals, and then gets... Uh, they're, they're a little unclear, but essentially like he is becomes addicted to alcohol, and it like, changes his temperament to the point where like even animals don't bring him happiness. He just gets angry at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a black cat. Uh, he ends up uh, murdering it, uh, and then the black cat essentially comes back to haunt him um, in the form of another cat that has like a noose on like, like a white marking of a noose on its neck. Okay. It's just really creepy. And that, that black cat causes him to accidentally kill his wife and gets the revenge that way. It's, it's a really good story. Uh, Beetlejuice crashes through an underground, like a chasm, a pit. Oh, a pit. <laughs> Duh. Uh, to which at first we see the beating heart again. So yeah, cause he wakes up yes. from the black cat. Oh yeah. And we think it's over. But, he's, but it's not. And then he falls into yeah, the pit. Yeah, it's a... It's a be- bed first. Yes. Into the pit, we get the beating heart again, which he freaks out yep. about. Uh, he gets then tied to his bed. Yep. Um, I guess before, right before that, he gets walled in, like the cats yep. of Amontillado. Yep. He gets tied to his bed, and then a giant blade starts swinging back and forth, a la Pit and the Pendulum. Yep. Um, the torture story set in during the... Uh, 
Spanish Inquisition, an interesting tale and a really like scary one uh, mm-hmm. from Poe. Uh, and this is the point where we get the break card. Welcome to the break card. It's Andy and I'm back. We're back. It's Toonie Japanese and happy Halloween. Man, we had so much fun putting this episode together for our bonus seasonal once a year Halloween spectacular. We chose something interesting. I hope you've been enjoying our review of this Edgar Allan Poe infused episode of Beetlejuice. I had so much fun talking about this. I think it's because of the nostalgia of Beetlejuice. I think it had to do with getting a chance to use my major in a different way and talking about literature and the literary connections on this episode. So hopefully you enjoy it. Let us know by shooting us an email at tuningjapanese at gmail.com or leaving comments on our Facebook or Twitter at tuningjapanese or facebook.com slash tuningjapanese. Or if you're a patron or want to become a patron, you can head to patreon.com slash tuningjapanese and let us know there what you think of this particular episode. Speaking of the Patreon, you can go support us. It's the only way you can really support us financially to help us keep this podcast going. I know that we just dropped a bonus episode over there. We've got another bonus episode in the can that we're going to be putting together sometime either this weekend or during this next week and releasing up on our Patreon. Uh, $1 a month is all you have to donate to be able to get access to all of those bonus episodes and there's a bunch of other really cool stuff, physical rewards and other things that you can check out once again by going to patreon.com slash tuning Japanese. Once again, thank you so much for helping us out, for sticking with us, for being amazing. And we'll be back next time with another One Punch Man review. It's episode seven, which I think during that episode we say, oh, next week it'll be a Halloween episode. Yeah, release schedule has been a little wonky, but I really hope you guys enjoy this. We're going to get back to our review of this Edgar Allan Poe amazing, fantastic episode of Beetlejuice, of all things. So I hope you guys stuck with us. Hope you like it. And we'll get right back to that review. Hey, we're back from our break, our commercial break, our Saturday morning cartoon commercial break. That was a scary break card. It really was. It's the spookiest (laughs) of all break cards. It's so spooky. Hey, Beetlejuice gets awoken just in time by Lydia. Does he? He does. Well, kind of. Does he? Well, he wakes up and he's all like, oh, what happened? And she's like, yeah, Poe's here. And he's like, no! (laughs) That wasn't a dream. That wasn't a dream. Uh, He's like, I just want to get some peas in quiet. (laughs) Yes. And he has a can of peas. And earmuffs. And earmuffs. So good. Uh, Lydia says something about, like, hey, just whatever you do, don't open his steamer trunk. Well, she redecorated his house. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He ma- fit- She made it more Poe-esque. Yep. And essentially says, hey, just leave her, leave his steamer trunk alone. Now we're leaving to file an or Don't open the steamer trunk. So he go- tries to go back to fall asleep, and then it's like, wait a minute. I bet it's full of cash. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, gems and money, like, all in that shit. I need to open his steamer trunk. <laughs> to steal from him. Yes, I must steal from Edgar Allan Poe, because life for Poe has not been bad enough anyway. Existence hasn't been pain he's a enough. Ghost. He is a guest in my home. Yes, I'm going to... <laughs> I should rob him. I should rob him. <laughs> the raven comes back and starts... Telling him to. He kind of mocks him, and he's like, you want to open that trunk? You should. You, you should open that trunk. I bet you'll like what's in the trunk. <laughs> hey, what's in the trunk? What's in the box? What's in the box? It is a blood red, grimy clown mask. Yeah, that goes around sneezing and freezing. So, I just got the second reference to that. Okay, and I fucking love it because okay. you just said that, and that just absolutely is two references in one. Oh my god! Okay, all right. So first of all, this is the Mask of the Red Death, yes, which got, they actually say they in the say cartoon. that in the cartoon. Yep. So the Mask of the Red Death is probably one of my all-time favorite. I teach this one for sure. Um, it is the story of 
uh, a disease not unlike the, the the bubonic plague uh, that is destroying this village. It's, it's killed more than half of its inhabitants. Mm-hmm. So the rich and arrogant Prince Prospero decides instead of doing something about the disease, he is going to bring all of his like dude bros over and he's going to throw a masked party where he locks himself in his locked everybody in yeah in his in his castellated walls of his abbey uh and they throw a party and during that party they get freaked out by the ticking of the clock because they're remembering what's going on outside but the big thing is um there is a masked man that shows up that looks like the people who are dying of the disease right and the people dying of the disease are it's a disease that kills you within a half an hour of contracting it uh you 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 bleed from the pores like all the pores of your body so Ebola essentially it's Ebola yeah, uh, and the masked figure looks like a skeleton, a skeleton with this blood red face. Right, kind of like a Grim Reaper with a red mask. Yes, on. so that's the direct reference here. Right, which is probably which. Although this mask looks like a, almost like a clown mask. Yes, which just makes it worse. It does, which could be a reference to Hop Frog. Now that I think about it, actually, too, because that's the story of a jester who gains revenge on an evil king, which is similar to Mask of the Red Death. In, in in theme and tone. But anywho, um, so this is not the Red Death. This is like Beetlejuice gets a cold. <laughs> right. Essentially. So they're they're tuning they're toning that down right. quite well, a bit. He's already dead, so That's fair. But you had mentioned a breeze. Yeah, because he freezes the freezing. He freezes the fireplace with a sneeze. Yes. And then he freezes Beetlejuice with a sneeze. Which is a direct reference to Annabelle Lee. Uh, which in the poem, he's mourning the loss of his love, Annabelle Lee, who he believes deranged in his mind and in his sadness of losing his loved one, that uh, angels who came out from heaven came down and blew a wind out of a cloud that chilled and killed his Annabelle Lee. So there's this idea of a cloud and chilling. That's brilliant. So and I chill- had not thought about it until just now. Children and killed was reminded, you were reminded by that when I said, Sneeze and freeze. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Sneeze and freeze, chill and kill. Exact same level of rhyme. I mean, that is true. You're a poet. You didn't even know it. <laughs> Shit, I know. <laughs> so he, I love Beetlejuice at one point. He says, my nose is stuffed. And his nose rump, jumps off his face. Onto a plaque on the wall. Yeah, next to like a... A moose. A moose. <laughs> so good. A moose head. Yeah. So he wakes up again. And he once again thinks, oh, Poe must be here. It's all a dream. Well, Lydia wakes him up again. Right. And tells him again that his house has been redecorated. And yes. they're going out to find yes. Lenore. So he's, he's, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, at this point, a new dream kicks in, and the door bursts open, and a giant orangutan comes in. Yeah, like a green ape with red teeth. Which could be one of two references. Could be a reference back to Hop Frog, because in Hop Frog, his big trick against the king is, hey, I've got this really cool plan. I'm going to dress you and all of your courtiers up as orangutans, no one here has ever seen an orangutan, so they're just going to be like, oh my god, monster. But I promise you, you're going to look just like an orangutan. And then he ends up like chaining them all together like they escape from a zoo or something like that. And then he hooks the chain to where the can't, or where the, um, oh, what do you call it? like a candling, like a, like a hanging candelabrum or whatever from the ceiling? Oh, uh, like a, a, a chandelier. Like a chandelier. Uh, pulls them up. And then the things he uses to like affix like the fur to him is like oil and flax and, and, and things that are going to burn really uh-huh. easily. So then he like, freaks out, and then burns them all alive, and then climbs huh. up through the ceiling and escapes. So it could be the orangutans from that, but probably is more a direct reference to uh, Murders of the Rue Morgue. Right. Which is... This one I know. This one This one is actually... Edgar Allan Poe, if you don't know, is uh, the uh, often credited and rightfully credited as the creator of the detective story. And mm-hmm. his character, uh, oh God, Auguste Dupin, uh, a French uh, detective is in a few of his stories, including this one, which is about a, a grisly murder that turns out to be an orangutan that a, escaped from a zoo exhibit, but, like, not a real zoo exhibit. Like, someone was, like, black markets, like, trying to, like, get this orangutan through the town. It escaped. Yeah. But didn't then, they train it to kill people? I don't think they trained it. I thought it was trained to kill people. It, it, it went into the maybe, house. Maybe that was the derivative... Lovecraft story because there's a Lovecraft story. There is a there is a Lovecraft story derivative. Almost the same thing. Yeah, maybe that one's where they actually train it. Well, this people. one, he like he like, goes into this house. Clearly, an oregano the knife did this murder. Yeah, well, he goes into <laughs> this room with these two women, and he kills the one like, because she freaks out, and then the other like 
he ends up like trying to like he sees them like combing her hair or whatever like and so like he tries to comb her hair but like rips her hair and head off or whatever and then like stuffs the body up the yeah it's really it's really gruesome <laughs> like up up the up the chimney it's it's a fucked up story it's really weird uh and also weird because he started the detective story but they had no logical like like there was no logical <laughs> right. clue there was zero logical clues to be like it was a monkey <laughs> clearly it was a reckoning with a knife <laughs> yeah fucking weird fucking weird Anywho, so he wakes up again, and he's like, this sucks, I gotta hit the hay. Punches a hay barrel. A hay bale. Hay bale, yeah. That punches him back. The punches him back. And knocks, no- him knocks him out. Poe shows up again in his door. And he hums like the first beginning of Beautiful Dreamer. Does he really? And he does. I didn't catch that. He goes, Beautiful Dreamer, meh, 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 meh. <laughs> like, like, even so, it's like, how did he get away with that? I have no idea. <laughs> So, apparently, Poe shows up, and instead of just saying Lenore is gone, he says, your Lydia is gone. Yes. And Beetlejuice and Poe just both start wailing. Yeah, they cry together for, like... A good 30 seconds. Yeah. No, not even that. It's, like, 2.5 seconds. Okay, that's fair. They immediately open the door. Yeah, they do. Like, it's like, <laughs> And it's Lydia. Yep. And she has... Lenore with her. Lenore with her. So, Lenore shows up. They have this dramatic reconnection scene where they run toward each other go to embrace but then Lenore removes her death shroud and says <laughs> you fucking idiot <laughs> you said to meet at the ramp on the bridge <laughs> no I said to meet at the ramp on the bridge yes <laughs> to which he goes I thought you said the dump on the bridge or dump on the ridge <laughs> which is making fun of Beetlejuice's home yeah which and, and Beetlejuice is... goes oh thank you <laughs> so great <laughs> So they ride off happily ever after. Because Beetlejuice, the... so he likes the, the insult. He does like the insult. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. So they ride off into the moonset, the moonlight. So it's a nice fucking bottle. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. So Beetlejuice wakes up one more time. Yes. And then realizes there's a knock on the door. Yep. And, and he wakes up in his chair reading Lydia's book. Which, if you go back to the the Raven... It's never 100% clear, but at the beginning of The Raven, he says he's sitting there, it's dreary, it's stormy, and he's drifting in and out of sleep. So there's this level of The Raven where it's like, did all of the events of The Raven happen in a dream rather than reality? Right. So we get that sort of same idea and motif here of him waking up in the chair. Right. Was it all a dream? Is it all about to start again? Who knows? Yep. And that's the episode. That's the episode. That's that's Beetlejuice, Potpourri. <laughs> I have never had more fun reviewing anything right? than I have this moment of just breaking down my entire knowledge of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, hey, Bill, you brought this to the table. I did. What are your general thoughts about just going back and watching Beetlejuice and this episode in particular? Like I said before, I'm not sure this show didn't warp my my thought processes um, somewhere along the the lines. Um. And I was really unsure. I was like, is this well-written or terribly written that all these just terrible puns and dad jokes and... Oh, yeah. Some of them aren't even that. They're just saying a thing and then showing it. <sighs> so Like, he weird. turns his head into an ironing, like a, like a clothes iron. Yeah. Head. And that's something about the irony of it. Yeah, I'd written that down. I forgot about um, that one. I guess if it won a daytime Emmy, it must have been okay. It must have been good. Must have been something. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Clearly, it's still connecting with a young audience. It is, honestly, which is, it's crazy. Cause At least those... one member of a young audience. Yeah, not, I mean, not everyone's watching Beetlejuice, that's for sure. Right. But it made an impact. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's pretty fantastic. I was very excited to re-watch this. Uh, I didn't realize, I guess I didn't think about or remember an Edgar Allan Poe episode. And that's just, it's just so good. I... I'm glad we got to watch this for I didn't, Halloween. I didn't consciously. Like, I couldn't have pulled this out of my ass if I didn't see it. But once we started watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, there totally was a... Like, I think this is where I realized what the Raven was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those things where pop culture sometimes can just... Yeah. Spark an understanding for something. I wonder if this was right in the era of, like, the the EI requirements for... Oh, yeah, educational information. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, so they're like, no, this is totally. It. This is fine. Look at all, look at all these stories. There's novels and books and shit going on here. 
Yeah, I, I guess when you mentioned like your like cultural understanding of the Raven, like for me, it was definitely the Simpsons. Uh, That's Tree House of Horror yes. season two. Yep. Like they really retell basically the whole story yep. uh, with Simpsons characters. That that's one that I've shown when I've yep. taught the Raven before. Like like let, we're gonna watch the Simpsons because this is an <laughs> easy excuse for me to show the Simpsons. So are you gonna show this in your classroom just to confuse the fuck out of these kids? You know, <laughs> last year I showed I randomly found this like weird ass like animated I think it was animated ish but had some real life things of like. Uh, about H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. And I was like, oh, I just don't want to teach for the next two days. So, like, I showed them this thing, and then I got to the end of it, I'm like, it was cool, but I don't think they really got anything out of it at all. <laughs> also language. <laughs> it was fine. No, it wasn't anything along those lines. They didn't go to that degree. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's one of those things where it's just like, hey, we're going to watch The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> now, I don't know about showing this, but it would be interesting to see, like, how many references, like, catch all the references, go. And see what they can come up with. Right. Yeah. This was good. This I was enjoyed good it. Time. I had fun. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be back next time, though, with uh, some more One Punch Man. We're already halfway through season one, so uh, we'll be back in November. Man, it'll be November. It will be November. That's insane. Uh, especially when we're recording this. That seems so far away. Uh, so, without further ado... I guess it's time to get out of here. Thank you for listening to Tune in Japanese, a podcast where two spoopy dudes talk about Beetlejuice, the 80s and 90s animated television show. Because <laughs> that's what we do on holidays, just watch weird shit. Because why not? Because why the hell not? And apparently I've contracted the Red Death. My name is Andy. And I've been kept up by the noises underneath my floorboards. Ironically, really, it's the noises above our floorboards. Yeah, it's definitely the ones above right now. I'm sorry, fans, (laughs) if you're hearing a lot of weird noise. Uh, His daughter and daughter's friend have been making a lot of noise and having a good time. Yes. (laughs) Right above the studio, apparently. Yeah, right above the studio. I'm Bill. And we will haunt you next time. (laughs) It's showtime. Thanks for listening to Tuning Japanese. For more information, visit our website, tuningjapanese.com, like our Facebook at facebook.com slash tuningjapanese, and follow our Twitter at tuningjapanese. You can also get a hold of the show by sending us an email at tuningjapanese at gmail.com. Check out our YouTube channel and our new series, Tuning RPG, by searching for Tuning Japanese or Tuning RPG on youtube.com. Please help support the show by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating and review. You can also go to patreon.com slash tuningjapanese to get all kinds of bonus content and help support the show monetarily. Seriously, be like these great patrons. Superfan Matt, Brian Nash, and Cameron Baird.